0: When I was a teenager, I used drugs, I, I drank. I pretty much tried whatever was out there, but, as a, but I was in Hawaii and it was a pretty relaxed place. And I was lucky that I did not get addicted, except to cigarettes, which took me a long time to kick.
1: Dad does? Dad does. Do- Uh,
2: drugs.
3: Dad Does Drugs. Hello again. Welcome along for episode two of Dad Does Drugs. I'm making a podcast as I learn more about and then talk about what I've learned about drugs with my children Uh, because just say no is not enough. Only increased knowledge and reduced stigma will achieve the goal of harm reduction so they stay safe and I hope look after their friends. I hope you'll enjoy the journey with me and talk to your kids too. I'm sure you've heard it said by many people that you can buy drugs easier than alcohol or all drugs are available on any street corner. Well, for this instalment I decided to put that to the test. On a cold weekend in November 2018, I went out to score. I'm a 42 year old man who's just finished doing the DIY with the skirting boards that i painted drying and I'll resume the building of our downstairs toilet tomorrow, but now I'm uh, just walking to see who you can bump into at 8 minutes to 11 on a Saturday night. I don't think I've ever bought drugs like this, well, I'm certain I haven't, I've bought some in nightclubs and at festivals when they're sort of on the dance floor and you overhear someone or you just go around asking and I've bought some from the dealers where uh, someone's phoned one and you've got to met them. But I've just randomly gone out out into the street. But you do hear from people in the media on both sides of the drug reform argument because I've heard uh, spokespeople for drug reform organisations saying, you know, kids can get it really easily on any street corner without having an idea or anything like that. They can get it easier than. They could get alcohol or tobacco. And well, that may be true. But I guess they know people. So they know who to ask, and they're not. A bloke in his forties just randomly wandering around the street. who definitely know I'm sure I just overheard one of them saying that he brought an eight. But I'm too intimidated. I can't walk up to a group of about eight lads, All around a cash point. Oh hi guys. I need drugs. Ugh no far too early. I look and feel like their dad and quite close to my own home I feel a bit like it would be shooting on your own doorstep well I'm nearly back home and apart from that group of lads who I suspect would just have taken the piss and left the uptown I don't think I saw anyone with any inkling of Of being a drug supplier or contact for such things, and it's completely unrealistic. Nobody wanders around the town just asking for drugs today. Well, that didn't go so brilliantly. And although I had imagined all sorts of scenarios where I could secretly record myself trying to buy in rough pubs at the other end of town, or at gigs, once it came to it, I bottled it. I realised that I was very alone, very exposed, and just quite nervous, actually. Without a support crew backing me up, it could have gone very wrong and got nasty and got me arrested. Essentially, I'm just not as tough as Stacey Dooley. So instead, I went for a much more 2019 approach and went online. Right, I've started the clock and I'm going to uh, buy drugs the easy way or certainly the less um, um stressy way because you don't need to go out and meet a criminal and you don't need to search around trying to find anyone uh, risk bumping into the law. However, I'm not a tech whiz kid so who knows how close you come to the law uh going online but having watched a um documentary on bbc3 that uh, professor green the rapper did all about cannabis use in the uk he, he did a bit on it that were saying how everyone's buying their drugs on the dark web these days and uh, they're not uh going out to dealers and you can pick what you want and uh, and sure enough it proved to be true like I say I'm no tech whiz kid but with a little bit of um, uh, googling and working out what uh, you needed to do it, it's not difficult I won't spell it out completely because I feel like that might be encouraging people to break the law Uh, so I'm not going to explain exactly what I'm doing but I'm going to uh, just do it Uh, so first I need to make sure you've got some money in a place that the dark web uses and that is in Bitcoin okay I've now purchased some uh, Bitcoin so I'm now five minutes into this transaction and uh, I've got uh, 0.0089 of Bitcoin uh, which is about 30 quid and I now need to get that into a marketplace on the dark web that I can then spend on narcotics Uh, so in order to access the dark web, I'm doing all of this on my mobile phone by the way you really don't need much technology and you could do it anywhere I happen to be sat at home. If you can hear a distant rattling, it's the hamster in the corner of the room who's listening in to all of this illegal activity but doesn't seem too phased by it. Moomin, she's called, by the way, if you're interested. Right, I'm logged on to a dark web marketplace now. I can look and um, it's called Dream Market. This one, I think it's the... Main one, it's the one that they were using on that documentary I watched on the telly. And uh, you just click on the menu at the side, a bit like you might do on any other website, and uh, it's got digital goods, so um, fake passes to um, log on to different accounts. Uh, looks like there's quite a bit of porn and um, kind of online information, I suppose, you know, fake passwords so that you can get free. Uh, use of different software or that sort of thing. So there's digital goods, there's drugs, drugs paraphernalia, services and other. Services is,
4: oh, hacking,
3: ID, passports, money, other. Okay, so, yeah, slightly uh, dodgy things there. People telling you how to hack and that sort of thing, I suppose. Other appears to be... um, Uh, 25 counterfeit £20 notes, a stolen watch, uh, some fake keys uh, some laughing gas chargers uh, some more watches random tatty junk um, amongst some slightly 100 pack of cigarettes value pack so uh, a fake Fendi t-shirt this sort of thing, so sort of slightly dodgy, peculiar things Uh, And then in drugs paraphernalia, we've got loads of king-size papers, pipes for meth and crack and bongs. Yeah, you know, drug paraphernalia. We know what that is. That's interesting. In drugs paraphernalia, there was a section on harm reduction. I've read a lot about harm reduction in my reading recently. What is harm reduction. 63 entries under harm reduction A guide to posting drugs and all smuggling Uh, Okay, I'm not sure it's harm reduction in the same sentiment that um, Sounds like it's ways to avoid getting caught Doing dodgy stuff, not ways To avoid people getting ill or coming to harm using illegal drugs Uh, Then when you click on the drugs category there are a whole lot of subcategories. We've got barbiturates, benzos, cannabis, dis- dissociatives, uh, ecstasy, opioids, prescription drugs, psychedelics, R.C.s, steroids, stimulants, weight loss. I'm for the purpose of this. I'm going to go to ecstasy. So, then once you're into the kind of category, I'm in the ecstasy category. Uh, is all just the sort of usual filters um, I don't want to buy them from abroad because um, I'm going to see the loop on Saturday and it's Tuesday so uh, I'm going to buy from someone in the UK who will post to the UK and I um, want them to sort by um, price and i just filter that and then, um, yeah, it just comes up with a menu of things. So I'm going to buy one pink Red Bull. So the unit price they're charging me is 52p for that one ecstasy pearl Plus a shipping of £3. For £3.52, plus a little bit of money lost in the exchange. Process some kind of strange online system to do that. Uh, It's not expensive, is it? Order confirmed. I've been it's been transferred the amount that I paid 0.00111 of a bitcoin to an escrow account. Uh, After you've marked the order as delivered, the amount will be transferred to the seller. So there's a sort of um, reciprocal relationship between. Buyer and dealer, where you they don't want to shaft you by sending you not very good stuff uh, or you know charging you more and, and it not being what it says it is because you might not transfer the money back to them. And also, there's the review system, there's this um, a system of putting in a rating out of uh, five stars. So, next we're going to go for a um, purple Audi from a seller called Mr. Molly who gets 5 star rating and the purple Audi is described as having 270 milligrams. in, goodness I think a a, a, um, a dose is 80 to 100 so if these are accurate then they're very strong now We'll go for a bit of um, MDMA on its own. Pure Champagne MDMA sample promo from Dutch Connection UK. Some of the star ratings for Dutch Connection. Five stars. Next day delivery. Looks solid product. Cracking stealth as well. Next day delivery. Fire gear. Purchased from this vendor before. Has always gave great service. Will update when arrived. Update. Next day delivery, MDMA has nice colour and has been tested. Just over on the weight, also. So that's my three orders placed for those. And they all say that they'll be next day delivery. Uh, And that's taken me uh, ten minutes. Right, so uh, it's Thursday evening and um, I've got a package in the post. Addressed to rest of me in a small jiffy bag, and inside it is um, <laughs> a sparkly iPhone case. And inside that is a silver um, bit of um, uh, what would you call that like heat sealed wrapping. So you know, it's just a little envelope that's completely heat sealed around the edges. Tear that open, and inside that is a small clear bag, uh, a Ziploc bag about the size of a tea bag with some white powder in. So the um, MDMA powder has arrived. Uh, I would have thought then in tomorrow's post, um, will be the individual pills. That will be Friday, and then on Saturday I am meeting the Loop drug testing service, and I will find out what's what. But fascinating, the sort of stealth that it arrives in. Uh, You would have just thought it was something you'd ordered off uh, Amazon or some other website, a phone case, and inside it is that packet. And so sort of elegantly simple you know it's just people order small bits of shit off the internet all the time don't they and nobody can check it so um, yeah fascinating you can do all of that on your phone in the comfort of your own home and I I think I did it yesterday morning and then tonight uh, I've opened it after I've got home from work yeah amazing Despite the claims and the fairly positive feedback for those sellers on the dark web, uh, only two of my packages arrived on time. One pill was too late to be tested. Now, armed with my drugs, I set off on a bright, crisp, cold December Saturday to drive to Bristol to visit a one-day drug testing event run by The Loop, a not-for-profit community interest company established in 2013 which provides drug safety testing welfare and harm reduction services at nightclubs and festivals mainly Uh, this was a tester in a city centre setting once I arrived at the community centre I was met by a buzzing throng of young sweaty chemists in a noisy pop-up science lab in one room. It was this hot thug of laboratory equipment buzzing away, academic nouse and chatter, coffee and lots of youthful purpose and passion. The room next door was equally committed to the cause but calmer. It was divided up with curtains like a drop-in clinic. It was uh, populated by the harm reduction team and I'll meet them a bit later, but I started my circuit of the loop in the corridor outside both rooms at the drug's drop-off.
5: So, the process is, um, you put one of each of your samples into one of these different little baggies. Um, For a pill, if you want the full strength test, so the exact strength in milligrams, we need the whole pill. For a powder, you just need a little bit on the end of one of these spatulas. Okay. Um, okay. So drop that in one of these little bags for me. I'll get you a couple
3: of raffle tickets. So, for the record, this uh, is called a purple Audi, and uh, that's the pill. Uh, this was. I'm filling in the form on the back. Yep. So this was sold to me given as MDMA. Have your friend tried it? No. You then just no, and that's it.
5: Okay. Cool. Once it's got the number in. Yep. You drop it in this box for me here, right. and you're good to go. And so with the next sample, same process. If it's a powder, you can use one of these little spatulas to put some in a bag. I'll put your number in your big bag for you.
3: This is hilarious. The stealth, as it's called on the dark web, in which Yay. this was packaged. Uh, in a phone case. came in a little uh, iPhone case. And inside the iPhone case is the uh, hermetically sealed little um, clever, bit of uh, you know heat-sealed plastic. And inside that is the little baggie with the... Um, Uh, what should be uh, what was sold as MDMA powder
1: there you go Um, if Um, you come
3: back in about 45 minutes to an hour um, we will have the results back and then we can go and have a sit down and and a chat as I'm recording all of this can I kind of follow it through with the um, chemist and see see them test that bit of it
5: no problem
3: thank you very much so the
5: amnesty bin is to provide a gap between you and us so by putting the drugs in the amnesty bin, you're not handing us the drugs, you're putting them in an amnesty bin, which we then bring into the lab where we are allowed to handle the drugs and what you. Bob is making a podcast and he's, he's, he's ordered these things off the dark web and so he's following the process of having them tested and everything. Okay. Um, and so yeah he's just going to record what's happening if that's alright with you
6: yeah. <laughs> right yeah. first
3: stage of the uh, lab process with Phoebe
6: right so we're cataloging so we've just received a sample from the drop off box because this is a pill we do an extra stage with it so we want to we photograph it and we have a look at the, the uh, design uh, on it so that's why we've got Sam here taking photos so to start off with I've got my sample number so I'm going to enter that into the system this is the catalog so we all have the catalog up on the laptop so we all see the form as it happens so you can look on the form and you can tell at what stage the samples are at so if someone comes back and says oh where's 45 you can check there is. it is so I'm the first first port of call really now this is where we take the photo of the pill so it's really important that we take photos of all of our pills because if we find there's something dodgy in there or if we find that they're super strong or really dangerous pills this is how we do the front of line harm reduction because it goes out on the social media but we need the photo of the design
3: and so now uh, Sam has taken a photo of the pill that I've put in. So it's important
4: that
6: we have the measurement next to the pill so that we can tell the size of it when we release it, if we release it. So the logo is Audi. We enter that into the form. Now we weigh it. Right um it's really important we weigh it because later on when we come to the mass loss analysis we need to know how much we started with so that we can work out how much mdma was inside of it yeah. because when we get full pills we do work out how much mdma is in but if we've only got half pill we can't do that because we can't promise that the pill was homogenized so if we only get half we don't know that we haven't got the weaker half yeah. so it wouldn't be right to be doing okay. that okay so if that's that makes interesting sense. so
3: that that pill was it weighs 500 milligrams yes and um I can't remember when I bought it. What it said, it sold it. But I think a lot of them were saying about 240 milligrams of MDMA. Four. So, um, <laughs> uh, so that might be so half of it is kind of active ingredient potentially, or maybe more. Well, right, it'd be stronger. interesting
6: to find out whether it is 240 milligrams because obviously that is really really high MDMA content. You wouldn't. So, it, the advice that the harm reduction workers give is that the maximum dose should be your weight in kilograms plus 50. So, if, for example, I'm 50 kilograms and I add a 50, my maximum dose should be 100 milligrams. Bear okay. in mind that you've just said that there's, what, 250 milligrams in this pill alone. When it comes back to mass loss, we'll be able to work out for you.
1: Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um,
6: whether that is the case. So now we're just putting in more details. So sometimes they have glitter in them. Sometimes they're fluorescent. Yeah. It's just as much as we can do so that we can identify the pills later on. Because um, obviously we're having so many, it's really good to know. So sometimes we even mention like the strength of the print. So if it looks like the press is really professional, so if yeah. it's if it's done with a professional press or whether it's done with, like hand pressed, okay. we can tell that by the sort of quality of the pill as well.
3: Well, why are you doing this? Uh, um, you know, have you become an expert in drugs? Uh, um, in in addition to doing a chemistry degree? Is it more exciting than doing kind of boring chemistry?
6: I'm a medicine student by trade, so I'm training to be a doctor. Um, I took a year out to do a neuroscience degree. I originally got involved with this charity because I have been following the work of Professor David Nutt, who lectures a lot about and writes a book. He's written the book, Hot Air, about drugs. He talks about the harm of not only drugs, but alcohol to society as a whole. And I was working for the university's radio station a few years ago, and I've been following his work. And I managed to get a chance to interview him. Interviewed him, and he mentioned this charity, so I found out more about them. So personally, I'm not it's not the fact that it's obviously it's more exciting or anything like that it's
1: it's that I
6: I realize that the real life importance of this in general the UK has the highest rate of drug deaths in the whole of Europe and people are dying whether you agree with or don't agree with illicit drug use whether it's the legalities of it people are dying and it's because of miseducation and I feel really passionately about that um it's not a yeah, so that's why I'm that's why I'm here. That's what I'm doing, what I'm doing. <laughs> so we finished that one.
7: Yeah. So now this
6: goes over. So do you want to now follow this one and mean store your next sample? Yeah. The way through, and then I'll do the other ones and then you come
3: back and do the other ones. Okay, yeah, great. Hi, yeah. So, right, so next station in the uh, lab process, um, it's been... Logged in, yeah, and then you get it here, and then yeah, jog yep. me through it. I so guess. we're about
0: to do um, infrared spectroscopy on it to files. find out what They're is actually in in the, in okay. the ah. pill. It's a pill, yeah. Ah. Um, so so first things now, I need to do is crush up test. the pill. So that's what I'm going to do. And then we put it onto this machine. Um, and then it links to the computer. And what happens is the uh, molecule will absorb infrared um, infrared light depending on its chemical bonds. Um, and then we get a reading um, and get a graph which will compare to other chemicals in our database. And then we can say how strongly it will match to um, different chemicals. So I'll
3: push up. So that was sold as MDMA, so you'll be able to see whether it is MDMA. And then if uh, if it's got lots of other things in as well, whether they're active drugs or whether they're just kind of talcum powder or whatever mm-hmm. um you'll be able to tell that from the graph yeah. as well right.
0: yeah so you'll get a um a match of the sort of um graph that it has a closest match with um and then you can do something called a subtraction analysis so once you've got the you've got the first spectrum you can then um subtract off that and see if it matches anything else Um, And if there's no match, then there isn't anything else in the sample.
1: Um,
0: And we we don't often find a mixture of things. It normally... If it's been um, oh, okay. if it does match the original is drug, there isn't really anything else other than maybe so some binder if it's a pill. Clear.
1: Yeah. Um like
0: cellulose Especially or something some that's used as a binder, or like a yeah. colouring agent or something, it's not often you'll find another active drug okay. within the sample. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: but
3: it may have been mis-solved. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. It, so it could, yeah. it could be not MDMA yeah. at all, it, it could, could be something yeah. else,
0: right. Yeah and this may have other stuff in it you just never tell yeah. which is uh, never can tell which is why we always should test
3: yeah has, it been, has this become like um, you know working in Asda for you where it's just people? beep so like when
0: well. yeah I mean when you're at a festival when you've got such a high volume of samples coming through yeah you do so, end up doing it like clockwork um, and you have sort of three people around the machine one person doing this crushing one person loading it one person cleaning the machine so you can just get it through real real quick
3: yeah
0: um, so yeah it does it does become like clockwork
3: was it kind of nerve wracking thrilling exciting the first time you're kind of working with illegal drugs in a festival does it yeah, do you feel it feels, a kind of certain it, sense of pressure It feels
0: weird to be allowed to do it, but it feels amazing that we are—we're helping people like directly helping people. And in my opinion, the best part of the job that we do is the intervention after, when we actually give people advice and um, sort of talk to them about their use and stuff. And that has the most—I think personally—would have the most effect on on their future.
3: And why did you start doing this?
0: Um, So I have a degree in pharmacology and my area of interest is psychopharmacology um, and I go to a lot of festivals and have seen um, the, first, the first festival The Loop ever did I met them there and sort of went to speak to them and said I'd love to sort of work with them I'm a teacher as well so I'm really passionate about sort of educating um, especially the young generation about Yeah, Well,
8: about your secondary
3: use. school teacher Yeah, chemistry okay. Yeah. Right, and do you do you hear on the kind of grapevine amongst teenagers? Do you, is you know, this po- podcast is primarily from a parent's point of view. Okay. How do we communicate to children? My my eldest has just uh, become a teenager, so right. uh, um, I'm sort of thinking ahead and think how do you talk to them honestly and, and mm-hmm. uh, with some kind of level of information rather than just just say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, do, you know, do you think? all teenagers are taking drugs? Is that what you kind of get the... Do you get the I don't sense? think
0: so. No. It's. I mean, I don't know exactly what uh, all teenagers are doing. Teenagers are definitely doing them. Right. Um, but I couldn't say what proportion of them are taking them. Okay. Um, but I do think times have changed from when I was a teenager uh, just because of the ease of the social media and the ease of access to them with the dark net and things like that. Yeah. Um which I feel like it's more rife than it was before. Yeah. But it may just be because I'm more aware of it now. I'm not
1: sure. Yeah, I'm
3: not sure either, because now I've, I've spent a few months reading and listening to podcasts and sort of, so I feel quite immersed in yeah. the drug world yeah. as it's being uh, investigated and harm reduction and all this sort of stuff that I knew nothing about six months ago. Yeah. Um, so now I don't know if I'm just very aware of it yeah, or, or, or whether... Um,
0: well, drug deaths are on the rise statistically, so yeah. I'm sure it is more, more of a problem than it used to be. So I just laid it onto the window. Um,
8: the logo of the window?
0: Aldi. Purple Aldi. Aldi. Aldi.
3: The car, not the, the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the like mistake we keep making. The new one?
1: Uh, and it was pink. It did a good one. Though. Was it pink? It purple. was purple.
3: Uh, now I'm on
8: Ron's side of the table looking at a graph. Uh, sure. So, uh, what you're seeing here, the red spectra is uh, the light absorption that we just recorded. The blue is a reference one from the library. So, that is people have taken a sample of a pure substance and it's comparing to that. Um, so, what you can see here, for example, is in the red one we have a peak here. And in the blue reference one, we also have a peak here. Um, Similarly, there's two overlapping peaks here, here, and here. And so by matching certain ones, by their importance, it's able to tell us how likely it is that what we're finding is the drug that we suspect. Uh, In this case, we're seeing a hit for MDMA, but it's of a low hit quality. So this number here goes from zero to a 1,000. A 1,000 would be an absolutely flawless, perfect match. Um, The difference is, this was a pill... So not only are we recording the MDMA that was in the pill, but we're also getting the binder and the dyes and a variety of other substances that will be obfuscating the um, quality of the spectra. Um, So, so far, what we've done is we've confirmed that this pill does have MDMA in it. Now it goes over to the next station where we analyze it to um, determine the mass of MDMA in the pill so we can tell the user exactly how strong it is. Thank you. Brilliant. Now this next sample
3: is also mine, but uh, no. it's, um, this powder is powder, ma Yeah, four, seven, yeah. So yeah, that
0: yeah, it'd be exactly the same process, um, other than the fact that I don't need to crush it up.
3: Yeah.
1: It's
4: but,
3: but theoretically, then you, you'll see more of a match because it shouldn't have all those extra dyes and binders.
8: Yes, yeah, so this could. This one should we would expect to be like eighty. Okay, just if a, it's Yes, yeah, so a closer match to what it says it is. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, as predicted, um, this now has a hit quality of eight hundred and forty-six, which is. Um, I mean, we've seen it go as high as sort of nine hundred and eighty. It largely depends on the conditions under which the MDMA was sort of synthesized, um, how much effort and care the A clandestine chemist sort of spent purifying it, um, removing the various uh, impurities that result from the manufacturing process. Uh, But 846 is uh, sufficiently strong for us to be able to sort of confidently say, this is MDMA and it's not been adulterated with, for example, amphetamine or caffeine or uh, any of the other things we typically expect MDMA to be cut with. Um, And so we would typically report to the user that likely what they're dealing with is to all intents and purposes, pure MDMA, and sort of advise them on the dosage correspondingly. I guess the risk of taking powder is down to how you dose yourself, isn't it? How much you take at a time.
3: But the pill, you've taken all of it, so finding out how strong that pill was, is that that a
8: a different stage? Yes, so
0: it's now gone back over there.
8: Right. There's an element of that information as well with the the, uh, powder crystal. Uh, The powder or the crystals. Because um, if, for example, the powder has been cut with caffeine... We can sort of say to them, um, yes, if you're not feeling much, it's likely because this is only sort of 50% strength. Right. Whereas, and also because a lot of MDMA is adulterated, um, telling someone that you, you have pure MDMA, if you take sort of the normal dose when you've received it in the past it's been adulterated, this could end up being twice as strong. Right. So the, the advice we give people is sort of be more careful than you would normally, um, just because, as I say, most people aren't always used to dealing with full strength MDMA. Right. Thanks, Ron. No problem.
6: So now we've got the mass loss analysis. The way this works, I now have been given the pill, in theory should be the whole pill, it's just crushed up. So what I've done to start with is I have got a piece of filter paper and I've weighed it. So this is how we sort of start by... We need like a baseline to minus. Um, if that makes sense.
3: And this is like properly uh, proper kind of um, recognisable school chemistry set with our um, flask and a, a, a funnel cap. in the top. We
6: have filter paper. We've got yeah. We've got our solvent. This is this is real life science here. Yeah. <laughs> so what I'm doing here is I'm washing it with methanol. The theory here being that the binding agents of the pill and the dyes don't dissolve the methanol, but MDMA does. So it's a way of purifying it.
3: So the MDMA is what's dripping out the bottom with the methanol? Yes. Right.
6: So it's called mass loss analysis. Okay. So we're weighing the mass loss, Does
1: y- yeah, that Yeah. sense. Yeah, I'm about to turn the pump on, so it's going to be
6: But this is a vacuum pump. Um, just make the filtering a bit quicker. It's sucking out all of the. I see, yeah. Right, so I've done now three washes with the methanol. I now want to leave this filter paper to dry in our oven because obviously you can imagine wet filter paper weighs more than you yep. um, And then we leave that for sort of 15 20 minutes until so it's completely dried out and then I'll reweigh it.
3: So, while the sample was drying out, I grabbed 15 minutes with Professor Fiona Misham, who founded the Loop six years ago to keep people safer if they choose to use drugs.
9: We get asked the same question quite often about, is it encouraging and condoning drug use? So we, we want to be, explained to people that we don't see it like that at all, and why not? And ge- generally most people, when they understand that, they, they support it.
3: Yeah. What's your day job? What, what, yeah. do, you, what do you do? Um, before you founded The Loop, what were what, what, what you doing? Yeah,
9: well, so I still have the same day job. I'm a professor of criminology at Durham University, and I've been doing research for 25 years on changing trends in drug use. So my interest is... Uh, my interest has been in terms of why do people take drugs, what the consequences are, and the interaction with policy. If your policy changes, how does that impact on uh, drug use, drug supply, and drug-related problems? And I guess, for me, there was a growing frustration uh, that we didn't actually know what was in the market and I would go to European conferences and hear European colleagues talk about testing which has been happening for 25 years there and think why are we why don't we try this in the UK and nobody else was doing it so myself and a friend of mine who's a DJ and promoter thought well we'll have a go and um, so really it was not because we were specialists in the area but because we had a concern and a commitment to try and get this off the ground.
3: You've got pink colour in your hair, you've got a friend who's a DJ and promoter who set up a territory with, I've seen tweets where you talk about uh, jungle music so what's your kind of connection or what's your passion for doing this as opposed to any other type of criminology?
9: Um, Yeah well I guess uh, I've been, I was going to nightclubs before um, I was doing research on nightclubs, Uh, I started going to nightclubs when I was 13 um, and I started working in them when I was 15 Uh, and then I started doing research on, on pubs and alcohol and the interesting thing was that in the early 90s I moved to Manchester uh, and I would talk to people who would say on Friday night they went to the local pub and drank and then they'd say on Saturday night I don't drink at all and I go to a club and I think this is really weird what's going on, something really interesting and different was happening. So I started doing research the earliest research, academic research on raves with a colleague of mine uh, and, and we would get, when we went to clubs and I was really interested in the different gender dynamics there that women were going there by themselves, going there to dance and they said they really liked being in a club where men weren't drunk and they weren't sexually harassed and men said they liked going to a club where other men weren't drunk and punching them and so you know it was was really it, it was interesting for me as a social scientist seeing what was happening in the early 90s Uh, And so I just carried on doing research on recreational drug use uh, and policy, the relationship to policy, Um, and we did the first academic study on dance drugs called Dancing on Drugs, and that was published in 2001. So I've been doing research on dance drugs and on ecstasy for, yeah, over 25 years now. And I guess in terms of uh, music, yeah, I happened to be taken by some research um, subjects of mine to a jungle club, and I absolutely was blown away but I've uh, you know I've been going clubbing since my teens so it was a natural logical continuation of that.
3: And and everyone here you know you, you've got a room of young chemists there's people doing harm reduction everyone's kind of young and funky and sort of it obviously feels like they feel like they fit to, to be doing this so it's, it's work but it also I don't know it, it kind of feels like it's a bit of a, a natural slide if you like that culture anyway you want to kind of do something to keep it safe.
9: Yeah I definitely there's such commitment and few thousand volunteers it's really amazing we've got over 500 volunteers We have another 10 apply every day. We've actually closed our application process because we can't cope. But I think it's, um, I mean, sometimes people describe it as like a movement or like a family. You know, there's a real closeness, especially because a lot of these people have worked together for a week in a festival and you get very close working very long hours there. And it's hard work. It's very hard work. We'll do eight, ten hours a day. We'll have huge queues in the festival. You know, people will queue up for two hours in sun and rain. Um, So there's great commitment, I think. Uh, But yeah, definitely. I mean, not not everybody here is younger. Our age range is from about, um, 20 up to our oldest chemist is 69 Uh, and and that mirrors our customers who will go from our service users will be from 16 up to 72 is our oldest so it's uh, it's very wide age range, but predominantly people are 20s and 30s and we have quite a few who are parents and it's about keeping the next generation safe going clubbing.
3: Well, that's what my podcast is about, You know, from the point of view of a dad thinking, I've got kids who are approaching teenage, how am yeah. I going to talk to them and be honest and, uh, and keep them safe, but be, be um, aware that they're going to experiment. I did when I was younger, they're likely to. So slightly depressing that for the last eight years the number of deaths seems to yep. be going up for the party drugs of ecstasy yeah. and cocaine. Uh, wh- why you know how do you feel about that and why is that going yeah,
9: on yeah i mean that's uh, it's you know it's not just frustrating it's a tragedy um, we've got the highest drug related death rate that we've ever had in the uk and i've been doing research for 25 years so i'm seeing it going the wrong direction and actually it's mirroring the increase in purity and that was one of the things for me thinking about exiting cocaine why was the death rate going up when purity was going up uh, and so one of the messages that we have is not just about testing for contaminants it's testing for strength and then to have messages that our healthcare professionals can give about dosage, appropriate dosage and moderation. You know, people hear about uh, drink two to three to four units a day and things like that, but they don't hear about dosage in relation to illegal drugs. And the thing is, people might want to be moderate. Nobody goes out and wants to die when they go out. It's a, so we're, there are really important messages around that as well. And so today, for example, we've put uh, an alert out on our Twitter account, which is for a 300 milligram pill that somebody brought in today but that's more than three times an adult dose if somebody double dropped with that they might well die from double dropping so uh, the people who brought it in were very sensible and concerned, and said that you know that they would take small amounts, and now they realise the strength of it that they will take appropriate action. But the point is, if they don't know that information, they can't take the appropriate action. And I'm, you know, I'm a parent as well. I've got a 21-year-old, um, so you know, I, I see her and her mates talking about these issues. And uh, the other thing is now I get contacted by a lot of parents, and I'm keenly aware of the individual tragedies that go into a festival or a nightclub death because quite often the mothers contact me afterwards i have a lot of regular contact with a a number of uh, bereaved mothers who are fully supportive of the loop and will say that you know maybe if the loop had been there their child wouldn't have died and who knows it's very difficult to say why someone does or doesn't die it's a multifactorial situation but, hey, you know, if we just saved one life, wouldn't that be a brilliant thing to have done? So I, um, you know, I really feel for the parents who've lost yeah, yeah. children. And quite often they're trying to make sense of it themselves because they might have gone out with four mates and four mates have come home and their child didn't. And it's every parent's worst nightmare, absolutely.
3: Yeah, it is, and I... And I um I'm going to meet some of those mothers as well as part of this podcast and so I'm sort of fully prepared I suppose to see the horrible side of it but in reality then there are millions of people who go out uh, and and take stuff every weekend and and don't you know I did when I was in my early 20s and I'm 42 and have no real ill effects from having done drug taking when I was younger so um, it's a funny me- I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it having had some very positive experiences with ecstasy oh, yeah. as a youngster yeah. how, how do I then I'm, not, I, I'm mixed I want to keep my children safe but also yeah. um, maybe if I talk to them enough and maybe this is what you've done with your kids you bore them into thinking oh I'm not going to do that if that's what dad's been droning on at me about maybe I, you know, I don't know quite how it's going to play out with the next generation yeah
9: well I think I mean there's a few things I mean first of all none of us know do we but um Secondly, one of the things we do know is that there's more and more and more drugs out there, is that there's hundreds and hundreds of new psychoactive substances. So it's become a much more complicated situation. Uh, whereas in the olden days, there were only seven or eight different drugs and you either got that drug or somebody had ripped you off and there might be something horrible in it. But now there are hundreds of NPS that could be missold as the traditional drugs. So it's become a much more complicated world for them to navigate. You've also got the dark web added to it. Um, but on the bright side, we've also got far faster, more accurate technology. So part of my th- thinking is to use that technology for positive purposes, for harm reduction purposes. So I, I'm a criminologist, so I would uh, go and watch the police using this type of technology for evidential purposes, for intelligence. And I would thought, hey, maybe we can use the same technology but for different purposes for harm reduction. So that was you know, part of my thinking. What could I do as a criminologist... I could try and win over the stakeholders uh, use my positive relationships with the police to um, get them to see that there could be value in this. So we always do this with the support of the police uh, and at the invitation of the police, usually. And, and that's where I think I can add value is by having those discussions. So that's what I try to do. I'm not a chemist. But I think um, in terms of the next generation, yeah, of course, we can only try our best uh, in relation to that. But, I, you know, the bottom line is really heartening. When we have people come in here and use the service... We ask them, after we get the test result, we ask them what they're going to do. Uh, and even today, a quarter of the people who've been here today have said, I'm gonna take a smaller dose in future. Well, even if only half of them did that, that means one in eight people is taking a lower dose. They've gone out of here safer than when they came in here. So I think it's about information, you know, knowledge is power, to use that cliche. Yeah,
3: and um, if you uh, if you had a magic wand and could uh, you know change drug policy, drug law, anything, I suppose, um, would you want to see things legally regulated or, uh, or something different?
9: Yeah, I'm, I mean, that's a difficult question. And what I um, would say is clearly what we don't want is organised crime selling dangerous drugs. But I would also say I don't particularly want them to be um, unregulated on a supermarket shelf. And I would suggest that Colorado's cannabis model in the beginning wasn't very successful because it, it was um, a consumer capitalist model that didn't have the necessary controls. So I guess I would be somewhere between the two and that. I would want um, a very strict control of substances by the state, probably distributed by a pharmacy. And I would say we probably need to go in stages to be able to... Uh, to develop those models so it might be that in the first stage it was only cannabis and to see how that went embedded in and that it would gradually progress but I think it will be I wouldn't want to wave a magic wand and make everything legal tomorrow but equally I don't think it's a good idea to have everything solved by organized crime in the current situation
3: yeah I, I mean I've started listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot more things so I feel quite all of a sudden over the last few months a bit clued up about uh, the drug war not working, and harm reduction being a, a more positive thing. But my wife has much more concerns that I'm too, uh, uh, you know, easy with risk. You know, I think she much more thinks. You know, we've got children. What are what you, what do you, what are you talking about? Harm reduction? Just tell them never to do it. So, um, uh, yeah. So I, I feel like. Her big panic is that if you were to legalise, particularly something like ecstasy, if you made it legal, surely just more people will take it and then more of those deaths will happen. So that, that, that's her kind of quite reasonable concern, I suppose.
9: Yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I agree it's a reasonable concern because um, alcohol is legal uh, and that has the most deaths. Alcohol and tobacco, you know, the two biggest killers, one in two smokers die from smoking-related diseases. So there's no doubt that easier access could lead to more people taking it and that's why i would be suggesting a very strict strictly controlled state controlled model is that i wouldn't want uh, totally free and easy access and i but i think as i said i think one of the heartening things is that when you talk to young people is that that especially the young people that i see in my university is they want good jobs, you know, they want good degrees. Um, they don't want to be just off the head seven days a week. You know what I mean? They're, they're, they're very focused, and so it might be that they want to work hard, play hard. But I think they're, they're, it's bounded. It's something to happen at weekends and at festivals and things like that. Uh, and we just I'd need to help young people navigate it, the inevitable experimentation safely. And it might be that they experiment with drugs or with, um, you know, sex or with, um, you know, dangerous sports. Extreme sports, there's all sorts of risks out there, Um, so you know we just have to help them navigate it as safely as they can.
3: Yeah, um, yeah, I read in Professor Nutt's book that um, equated taking an ecstasy pill with uh, the risk of cycling for 20 miles. Yeah, and I cycle 40 miles a day, you know, to and from work. So it's it's a funny thing where. I'm, no one thinks I'm uh, no one thinks I'm terribly immoral for dicing with death by yeah, cycling yeah, on the road. But yeah. yeah, if if I said, oh, I take a pill every week, then they probably would. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a mixture of moral and risk. Kind yes, of yes.
9: But, well, that's. The, I mean, that's why it's an interesting area because you've got the it's a, it's at the intersection of issues around criminal justice, issues around health, and issues around pleasure and leisure. Uh, And the morality around that. And I think there's something in the Protestant work ethic that you have to work for pleasure as well. And that it's almost like taking a pill is too easy. That you you need to read a whole book um, and get the pleasure from a whole book or climb a mountain or something like that. But just to take a pill and get pleasure pharmacologically is almost like cheating. And I've heard people say that, yeah, that it is almost like cheating for pleasure.
3: Yeah. But maybe that's a generational difference. I think, yeah,
9: I think partly, yeah.
3: Really uh, great to talk to you. Thanks for everything you're doing. Thanks for talking to me.
9: No, no, thank you for coming.
3: Professor Fiona Meesham is brilliant. Really inspiring and totally passionate about what she does. Right, back over to the other side of the lab now to find out how much MDMA was in the pill that I'd bought.
6: We're now 20 minutes later, still at the mass loss analysis.
8: So we've now got
6: (laughs) the dried... um, Pill with methanol. We're going to weigh it, uh, so and from that, our database will be able to work out how much MDMA actually was in How much did you say originally that you uh, to I've, I've had
3: a look. I, um, it, it was advertised as two hundred and seventy milligrams.
6: Interesting. So it's telling me that in there was.
3: Okay, okay, Phoebe. I'm going to interrupt, and we're going to save the result, the reveal of the MDMA content of the pills and powders. For the harm reduction team, I'm going to build the suspense and they can do the big unveiling. Now, seated in the harm reduction room in a curtained off cubicle, I met a drug worker called Steve from Cornwall. You'll hear from him in a bit. Steve is going to be doing some work in the future with The Loop and he was learning the ropes by shadowing Josh, who led us both through the harm reduction interview process, which is a key part of what The Loop does. You can't just wander off with your tested drugs without this bit, and I think you'll agree it's fantastic. It deters a lot of would-be drug users, it makes the ones who are still going to take the drugs use less, and it makes sure that they know what to expect and what to do if they have a bad reaction.
7: So you submitted um, a pill and a crystal to us, so let's start with the crystal. What were you told it was?
3: Uh, I bought it on the dark web and it was uh, referred to as um, pure champagne MDMA.
7: Okay. Have you tried some already?
3: No. Okay.
7: And you bought it on the dark web, that's fine. So I would say that's a dealer who is a stranger to you. Yeah. Is that fair? Okay. And why did you bring it in? The options being that you're just interested, you suspect it isn't mdma you think it is but you want more information or anything else
3: i'm generally interested curious
7: okay right so f- before i give you the result i'm just going to ask you a little bit of information Well, mm-hmm. I'll ask you what you know about mdma so tell me what what is mdma
3: ecstasy mdma uh is a club drug that um i have um taken in that setting uh, sure. in the past um uh, uh, very occasionally as I've got older, but um, and um, what does it do? Is that what you,
7: what type of drug is it?
3: Uh, an empathogen.
7: Ah, oh, very good. So, so I've get, done a bit of reading let's and get listening the wheel recently. out. Yeah, here's the drugs wheel, right? So we've got our stimulants and our empathogens.
3: It's a bit of both, isn't it? No,
7: it's really small, but MDMA is right on the edge, it's in the empathogens. Section, Yeah. But it's right on the edge, and that is on purpose, because it's in the middle there. Yeah. So it is a stimulant, but many report that it has sort of hallucinogenic qualities to it. Okay. Can you tell me anything else about it?
3: Well, you, you take it, and then um, half an hour to an hour later, you mm-hmm. come up and feel the effects of it. And um, it um, um, makes you feel... Uh, sort of euphoric, uh, obviously ecstatic, I suppose, Uh, and it um, uh, makes you also feel hot and sweaty. uh, You're
7: missing something quite important. Dehydration. Right, yes. So it releases serotonin in your your brain, which also has an effect on your body temperature. Okay. Um, In terms of dehydration, the advice would be to drink around... A pint of water an hour sipped Mm -hmm. if you're being active and dancing. If you're sitting down and not doing very much, half a pint of water an hour sipped is fine. You also didn't tell me how much MDMA you take at a time. Do you weigh your doses? No. Okay. Well, I'd say it's quite important that you do that. I talk to a lot of individuals who sort of just pick up a crystal in a dark dance floor and just go for it.
3: That's all I've ever done, yeah.
7: Right, exactly. I would say that that is not a reliable way to make sure you're taking the right amount no so here we have a little chart now we don't have there's no there is no recommended dose of MDMA you know we recommend that you don't take MDMA mm-hmm. but we have here what people might find to be light common strong or heavy doses
3: so if you take below 30 milligrams you're sort of not going to feel anything exactly. threshold level. Exactly. Um, and uh, and then obviously more than that you'll feel mm-hmm. effects getting mm-hmm. stronger and stronger. Yeah. Given that uh, as I say I've, I've never been to a testing service before so I've, ne- yes. I've, I've never had any idea I suppose what the the pill contained or and how strong the dose would be. Yeah. Bear if, in mind
7: we're talking about the crystal, we'll get, I'll tell you how oh, strong the pill is in a that will come soon
3: though. Yeah it's kind of interesting to think you know I, I suppose I've always felt that I'm a, I'm a six foot three bloke, yeah. Um, yeah. strong, healthy, yeah. Yeah. so therefore um, you have a, quite a big capacity, a, a bigger well. body weight than yeah. most.
7: Yeah, in which case a common dose for yourself might be on the higher side than, let's say, a smaller individual. Yeah, we often find that small girls in particular need less than large men.
3: Yeah, and that's and that's for me, then you as know. a parent, you know, the, the panic story that the press always report is the 16 year old girl who has one pill and then dies at a festival and that's the exactly. tragedy no one yeah. wants exactly. to be a part of so exactly. um i do get that yeah
7: so while we're on the subject um can you tell me what happens when you take too much MDMA? may
3: yeah you're sort of dizzy and wobbly and your face is you know you're kind of gurning and uh-huh. and, and um uh-huh. uh and then you have memory blackouts for you know you you kind of oh where have i been for the last hour or that sort of thing so um uh, i kind of have vague memories of that being
7: yeah so uh, i guess what i would say is that mdma encourages the release of serotonin in your brain as we've already discussed that has an effect on body temperature so you can overheat Mm
1: -hmm.
7: Um, if you take a very large dose you can have something that's basically serotonin toxicity um, which can lead to seizures and you can die. Mm. Um, There's well-publicized deaths that happened last summer. I think I myself, I work in welfare, I think I've sent about 15 to 20 kids to hospital this summer just from taking super strong pills. Right. That, that, as far as we were aware, were just MDMA.
3: Yeah.
7: Um, So it is a real concern at the minute. So in terms of dosaging, I would say you want to pre-prepare your doses before you get to the dark sweaty rave tent. It might be worth sitting down, crushing it all up and making sure that those doses are even. Purchasing some scales is quite a good way of making sure that it's accurate. So let's move on. The crystal that you gave us was indeed MGMA. Um, it's interesting it was advertised to you on the dark web as champagne we rate it out of three it was a three out of three so it's among the higher purity samples that come through
3: right
7: we don't give out a percentage purity because um there's a little margin of error there but mm-hmm. i can tell you that yours is absolutely among the strongest that come through right. um there was no other psychoactive content detected yeah and any anything that will be in it is just a a by-product but there was hardly any of it it was a very high-purity sample you gave us
3: which is fascinating I mean I don't want this necessarily to be an advert (coughs) the Dark Web but you know that's what it says it was it wasn't expensive and and that's what it turns out to be and so then the only well not the only danger but the major danger then is that you is is of dosage as we've just talked about Uh it's not that it was a contaminant that could you know uh, have another effect
7: well for quite a few people maybe they might be used to taking you know let's say one hundred and fifty milligrams, but then this batch is much stronger than they originally anticipate, yeah, and suddenly they're really disorientated in the dark field mm. so with a strong with a strong batch like this, start low go slow really needs to be the motto right. I think yeah. um, one thing I would say about the dark web is the feedback process they have. Mm. Um, Can mean that, um, you know, they have the top sellers and they have the feedback. And that's something you don't get with street dealers. Street dealers don't have any kind of accreditation system, any kind of feedback system. That doesn't mean you can trust the dark web 100%. We hear a lot of stories of people ordering things on the dark web, they'll receive it and it turns out to be something else. Or what happens incredibly, scarily frequently is that they'll receive another baggie at the same time and then it's not even, it doesn't, they're not told what it is. It's just right. a free sample of something yeah. random and they end up dying. Because right. it's something, it, it, honestly, it, it is something that happens. God. So it's something to be cautious about. Okay. Why
3: are um, ecstasy pills so much stronger than they used to be?
7: What would you rather do? Would you rather do the result or talk about...
3: Yeah, let's... Sorry. It's up to this. you. It's your
7: yeah. podcast.
3: Well, that's probably a distraction. Yeah. If you go through let's the, do the result and then we yeah. talk
7: about strength. Okay. Sure. Uh, and what were you told this, the pill was? Um, MDMA. MDMA. Uh, have you tried any of it already? No. Okay. And you... Did, was it from the same source? Uh, it was a different, a
3: different dealer, purposefully, but it, but it was on the dark web, on the yes. On the dark web, yeah. cool.
7: Okay. So... Uh, I can tell you that the um, pill you gave me, do you mind if I, what was the stamp on it? Because I haven't got that. Purple much. Audi. Okay, we tested it at about 275 milligrams.
3: Wow, well, which is, it was advertised as 270 milligrams uh, on the dot web, so it is what it says it is.
7: Did you buy it off one of the like top sellers with lots of feedback or? Um,
3: I, I think it did, I think it was, yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of yeah. the deal, I probably won't give yeah. it out um, purposely. No, but, yeah.
7: no, that's, that would be a terrible idea. Um, So, yes. The thing is, with our testing process, there is a margin of error. It might be about 10 to 20 milligrams either way. Right. But it is fairly accurate. Yeah. Um, The thing I really want to bring your attention to is the dosage chart we have here. So I've told you that it was 275 milligrams. Now, the strong dose we have here is 150 to 200. Heavy is 200 plus. Yours came in at 275. Yeah. So that's beyond heavy. Okay? Yeah. That is essentially almost three doses in one pill. It's two and a half to three doses in one pill, which is a big concern Mm. to the loop, to be quite honest with you. Um, We see a huge number of pills that are that strong. That's among the strongest pills that come through the tent, Every now and then we'll get one that's over 300 milligrams, which is pretty rare. Yeah, We get quite a few that are over 200, but 275, that is a very, very strong pill.
3: I have a feeling, actually, I I, I can't be sure, but I yeah. have a feeling even on the on the seller's blurb, mm-hmm. which was long and extensive, um, right. all the other things right. that they sell, but I think it might have said these are strong, you know, take, take in halves, which is interesting even from the dealer uh, um, Yeah, that they're saying that.
7: I mean, I'd say even half is a... St- that's yes, a big I dose. Say that as well, yes. Yes. Even, even half of that pill is a big dose. Mm. So, there you have it. I mean, maybe let's have a little chat about the strength, the recent upsurge in strength of pills. Yeah. A few years ago, pills were of relatively low strength. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'd know, get like four for a tenner or something. Yeah. Now, a pill will commonly cost about £10, and it will have two or three doses in one pill which I personally regard as highly dangerous to have, essentially, an overdose amount within a single unit. Yeah. You know, when you see a pill, your instant thought is, well, you, you take... Not, you t- you, you don't swallow, take half you know, you a paracetamol swallow. very often, exactly, do you? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, the message, thankfully, is slowly getting out, thanks to services like The Loop, that actually start with a quarter sip water. Yeah. You asked me the question, why pill pills now so strong? Yeah. There are a number of different ideas... One is that it is demand-led. So everyone wants the strongest gurners they can get, right? And, it's, you know, it's, it's very common. People, when they're deciding which pill to get, and often they have a, quite a wide choice of different types of pills, yeah. they get the strongest ones. So it's possible that dealers are just making these pills stronger and stronger and stronger in like a game of one-upmanship mm-hmm. in order to make their product the most attractive yeah. and the best seller. Yeah. That's quite a strong contender of a theory. Yeah. There's another theory that, um, especially because many of these pills are produced in Amsterdam, or at least they used to be, that dealers get in less trouble So let's say you have a kilo of MDMA and you knock it up into pills. Yeah. Right? If you knock that up into less pills, you get in less trouble. Does that make sense?
3: What, if you're caught? Yeah, if you get caught.
7: So that's another theory. Okay. Why are pills so strong? Maybe it's a mix of the two. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know.
3: I've heard, uh, you know, I've been to a couple of... uh, a drug symposium for the first time ever and I listened to people like Professor David Nutt talk and w- something that they talked about was the iron law of prohibition and yeah. that, that yeah. drugs get stronger when yeah. they're prohibited yeah. because obviously it's easier to move around something that's mm. small and strong yeah. than it is so I guess that might be another was uh, that the, the theory. The street
7: drugs symposium yeah. which I helped organise oh. strangely enough, but I wasn't able to attain that oh, okay. which is very frustrating but um, yes.
3: And another theory <laughs> uh, on MDMA particularly was that um, there was a big seizure of the, of the raw material to make uh, MDMA uh-huh. a few years ago, so S- there's a, a real saffron. Sa- yeah. Yeah. yeah, so there's a real lowering of the quality. Since they then, chemists have worked out how to synthesise it. So way. then it's it's now yeah. cheap and easy to make yeah. it stronger. So yeah. they are doing. Yeah. it yeah. Uh,
7: um, And who knows? Maybe they aren't even needing to import it into the country anymore. Who
3: knows? Right. Um, another Which would th- make it even cheaper. Another interesting thing I've listened to recently was a chap who founded DamSafe. In the US, um, yes, yeah. okay, Emmanuel Sverios. So he is quite an advocate for MDMA as a therapeutic drug, but he talked about dosage and the fact that if you take a dose, so let's say common dose around uh, 90 milligrams or something on here, then once you've had the effects of that, you can't really get higher. with it you know you've had all the serotonin has been released you're feeling that euphoria if you take more you won't have more of that same high feeling it just gets progressively worse
7: it it becomes more of a stimulatory effect rather than the, the euphoria doesn't really come back
3: right and I don't think I've ever heard it articulated in that way before yeah so you know, I understand that I understand the panic of the person on the dance floor thinking this is not working, this is not working. I've bought a dud, uh-huh. sort of. You know, that's yeah, what yeah. You're, you're going to the rave, you want the drug to work. So, yeah. so that feeling of wanting to be convinced that you're buying something strong, mm. uh, I understand then the, the user going, Yeah, I want to buy that one because he yeah. says it's really strong. Yeah. Uh, at least yeah. it'll work yeah. to
4: achieve the first euphoria. Yeah. yeah,
7: in addition to which, we're talking largely about very young people who haven't been given any decent information on drugs ever in their life Mm. and they have this big sense of bravado Um, excuse my french they want to get as fucked up as possible yeah but also
4: it it goes to the biology of the brain's development the the frontal cortex where between your teens and your mid-twenties you don't think about the consequences of your actions it's a key part of my lessons yeah, I'm uh-huh. not knocking them, but they're, they're experimental. We all did the same yeah. thing. Yeah, I just think it's, it's different. People have got different. Um, yes, attracted so to different risks, aren't they? Yeah. So, yeah. but you, and you, they, you just don't think you're con- the consequences. You're tired of being told what to do by your parents and teachers. It's rebellion. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's complex, isn't it? Yeah. So
3: if you have a, you know, if you have a couple of, like exactly that sort of person, a couple of 19-year-old lads, whatever, come in. Uh, and they've got and they go hey high five each other we've got super strength pills which happens I'm sure it does and then I bring
7: the mood right down right every time by telling them how many people their age have sent to hospital this summer right you should see the change on their faces. They suddenly realise this is actually quite serious. And do you think well, that? To do, you, tell them.
3: do you genuinely think that then has an effect? So, because I guess they're getting it from you. Who, yeah, you're, you're a bit of a buzzkill, giving them that information. I, but you're not judging them I, about
7: it. Yeah. yeah, I try and I try and. You're not much older friendly.
3: than them. Yeah. You're you're kind yeah. of in a setting. Yeah. You're at the festival doing this kind of chat with them. Yeah. Do you
4: think it gets through more than the teacher or the or the parent? Or, a, a, a regular teacher, I think, in school. They just switch off because it's uh, the teachers mouse or biology yes. If it's yeah. an external yeah. speaker like me, yeah. they're just like they, they're they're you, really you got you've got a hook, especially yeah. if you've yeah. got an interesting background. Yeah. Um but it, I, I know th- I
7: did when I was a child, when an external speaker came in, I really engaged hundred yeah.
4: percent. Especially when you look a little bit different and you dress differently, yeah. you know, you're still professional, but there's a certain edge. Yeah. Um, I try not to use shock tactics um in lessons, but sometimes if a student brings something up. So I live in Cornwall, but I teach in the south-west and beyond. I was doing sessions in Ivy Bridge, so this side of Plymouth. And there was a group of lads that came down from uh, Oakhampton to a club in Plymouth to see Bass Hunter. Oh, I've and read the one story. Of their, one of their yeah. friends has supplied... So it's just... It's, it's like buying a round in a bar. Mm. One person goes to the bar and they buy five or six drinks, yeah. and it's the same, but in a drugs context. You, you, buy, you know, you're the one that gets the gear and you show it out, out amongst your friends. There were several of them were hospitalised, and two of them died. Mm. Yeah. And it's just the random consequences that we all react differently to different drugs. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a very sad example of that. And, and so, so the yeah. whole, you know, proper education, informed education, accurate education and services like The Loop, amongst others, is, is life-saving.
7: What I always say to people is it's always possible to choose to do more drugs later. Mm-hmm. You can never undo drugs you've just done.
3: And uh, and so when you're at a festival that's welcomed The Loop on board, so they have to be fairly forward-thinking and prepared. It's a bit of a risk, isn't it? You, or You attract quite a lot of criticism, potentially, from the, the general public, the local press or whatever, about... Um, this festival has allowed in drug testing, therefore they're condoning it.
7: I'm not sure about that. I think you'd be surprised. I, th- I, Almost all of the press coverage I've seen has been overwhelmingly positive, even from news outlets that you wouldn't expect. A, a local news outlet that I won't name here that I would normally expect to be highly critical of a service like this it was thoroughly positive we had the Daily Mail here earlier today it'll be interesting to see what they have to say but I actually think that they will be positive yeah I'm hoping I think they will
3: and 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 to, yeah to, I think you're, you're right I've seen plenty of coverage that's very positive about the loop but then it's interesting that some festivals don't um, don't let anything like that in so uh, and, and some a, of the clubs there
4: don't a, there was a big festival that um, they changed their tone, didn't they? They were positive towards it, and then when it came to arranging the loop being there, it didn't happen, so... Right. Uh, I've,
3: I've asked, you know, so I'm hoping to speak to Boomtown Festival, and, um, because it happens near me in Winchester, and, um, uh, and the loop go there. But um, I've also asked to speak to Fabric Nightclub, because they've got an interesting story to tell, but they don't want to talk about it. And and, and, and their, you know, their website and what have you is full of their anti-drug stance and uh-huh, their and uh-huh. their sort of military-style um, well, searching and stuff on the way in, well, rather it. than having a, a discussion. Club about...
7: owners have to be seen to be anti-drugs. Yeah. Because uh, the police require them to do it. Mm. What's really interesting is that police are overwhelmingly supportive of what we do Yes. Um, so I mean there is this irritating. weird paradox going on where at all, at all the festivals we're at where the, the security is searching people you know up and down on the way in and then when they get to our tent they can produce drugs and get them to it's a, it's a weird yeah. it's weird but it's good good way there essentially I think yeah, yeah.
3: I think it's brilliant that they're there. If you're being nagged by your offspring to help them out by paying for a festival ticket, insist this year that they go to a festival that the Loop will be at, and it could save their lives or those around them. Uh, they were at Boomtown last year. They've been at Bestival. There's numerous festivals. I don't think they've announced yet which ones they're going to be at. But keep across their um, Twitter at We Are The Loop and their website We Are The Loop and. Uh, Google them and look for the announcements and see which festivals they're going to be at and pay for your kids to go to one of those festivals because I just think they're brilliant and the facilities and the support and the welfare that they provide is amazing and without it, there's just no safety net if your children or any of their friends decide that they want to take drugs. So, Saturday night, I'm a bit tired but um, you have just listened to... Episode 2. Yeah. What did you think?
2: Really good actually. I think I drew it more than the first one.
3: It's a good journey, isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, what did you think about each of the stages then? Me being a dingbat, yeah. trying to <laughs> walk around South Sea looking for...
2: Yeah, that, one, that one was funny. I was interested a bit about the dark web. Um, where like, the waiting system, which I found quite interesting. Yeah. And just the ease of access.
3: Yeah, I mean, you have to go through a bit of a rigmarole, downloading a sort of special type of browser to get on. And um, But, yeah, when you get on those marketplaces, it is like buying anything off eBay or Amazon, you know. you Just put, put in the your details, search terms yeah. and... What's
2: well, so you had to transfer money to Bitcoin, didn't you?
3: Yes, yeah, so it is a bit convoluted. And I think um, reading a bit more, read an article today about um, e- drug use at universities and the fact that... Um, Students who are all on social media, obviously, and then the dealers put out, just bombard lots of adverts on Snapchat or Instagram, saying that they're selling whatever drugs locally.
2: I feel quite risky, though, putting an advert out for drugs.
3: Yeah, I don't know how they do it without it being really obvious and getting taken down by the police. But I think... Um,
2: do you it, do something that's like...
3: Maybe something that's a little bit... um, Maybe they don't just send it out to everybody. But I think the police have got sort of more important things to do than chase a guy selling a bit of weed weed to some students, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously they would like to stop him doing that because he's breaking the law. But if they've also got somebody to stop doing something violent and aggressive, then that's Mm. going to take priority over the... Over the drug dealing. What did you think about the uh, the idea of doing the drug testing?
4: I think
2: it's a good idea because people are going to get the drugs in anyway.
3: Yeah, so it means then that the people, uh, you know, who who have bought the drugs know whether they're actually drugs and how strong they are. And then that I thought the guy at the, the guy end, at the
2: end, yeah, yeah, he's
3: so good, isn't he?
2: Yeah.
3: He's called Josh, and he was, um, you know, sometimes he's he's so shocked by how young people are when they come in, you know, so they might be at some festivals you don't even have to be eighteen to go there, so they might only be seventeen hmm. years old. And um and they've got so much pills and powders on them that they could drop dead if they <laughs> if they took yeah. them all, but they've no idea what they are really. So he's like the first person who ever has ever spoken to them with any sense. I thought I thought it was a really good idea, the the loop. I, I thought this episode that we probably didn't need to go into detail about ecstasy, the main drug that they were talking about, because there was lots in that episode anyway. D- did you want to ask anything more about it?
2: Um, have you ever, like, gone, like, over, or was people, like, around you just, like, over this a little bit?
3: Uh, no. I've never seen anyone in trouble. And, okay, yeah. Uh, I think the different thing about... Uh, I was thinking about it. The different thing about it... To most drugs, is that um, it's a sort of all or nothing drug. So if you if you take a pill, then it will completely change your your whole sort of all your feelings and all your um, how your body feels and what you want to do for the rest of that night. You know, it, it's a sort of big, overwhelming change. Suddenly, you go from kind of uh, yeah, I guess I'm having quite a nice night to woo crazy party time. Yeah, whereas. And you can't just take a little bit of it, whereas, you know, like you could go out with friends thinking, oh, I don't really want to get really drunk tonight, but you could sit with them and have one drink. Or if everybody else was smoking weed, you could just have a tiny bit. Yeah. But with ecstasy, it doesn't It doesn't work like that. If you only have a tiny bit, it doesn't work. Yeah. So, And then if you go over the sort of threshold, then you have this big euphoric, ecstatic feeling for... At least three or four hours, more like six or seven hours. You probably won't sleep much. You know, people stay up then all night dancing. I think that's kind of yeah, and how it's like it's been...
2: the length of your like yeah,
3: yeah. And that's the the sort of that's why club nights and festival nights and things like that all sometimes go on till six in the morning because people have gone out, taken something at eleven, twelve o'clock at night, and then sort of dance. Uh, all through yeah. the rest of
2: the night. I mean, I was thinking, they said, like, sick... What was like a, like, a lot of water if you're, if you're dancing all night. How much was it, like...
3: A pint an hour, if you're, yeah. if you're, if you're, if you're somewhere hot, yeah.
2: Yeah, which is, like, a humid party room. and that, that feels like... No one goes over and has water, do they? Like, when you're, like, that, like, euphoric and all that, you probably don't have, like... You know, you probably don't do that, which is quite worrying,
3: like... You, well, you wouldn't choose the water, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think it the, the, it does change your you you don't want to drink alcohol anymore. So if you've if you've been having a couple of beers earlier in the evening, suddenly you don't really want that anymore. You do only want what you just feel thirsty. No. And so um and most nightclubs there was a while because nightclubs make money out of the people being there, obviously they make a lot of money by charging you for drinks. So when ecstasy came in, suddenly big nightclubs where everyone used to drink all night suddenly noticed like hmm, and no one's buying any alcohol, they just keep asking for water. Uh so some nightclubs started turning off the taps and things like that in the toilets, which obviously is very dangerous because all these clubbers on ecstasy couldn't get couldn't get water and would have to buy it expensively behind the bar. They don't do that anymore. almost every nightclub will let you have water for free, but you maybe buy a bottle from the bar the first time and then you just go and fill it up from the toilet if you want more water but most people generally do drink water you you can can get it but it's um yeah it's hard to find somewhere cool in those sort of places and in america there's a big sort of rave scene you know big organized legal sort of festivals and raves with loads of loud dance music and um and they're in the summer and it's baking hot you know in in america it can be like 90 100 degrees yeah so that's a bit of a danger trying to keep people cool but now, if you're at any festival in this country, you'll see um, there are these tents. So even if the loop aren't there, there'll be these places called like the chill out welfare zone and things like that. And you can just go and sit in a cool tent, and people give you water and chat.
2: Yeah, so I had this story about like this girl. It was like her like seventeenth birthday or something. She eighteenth birthday, I think. And she had exited the party and drank too much and overhydrated and died.
3: Yes, that was a really famous case. She was called Leah Betts. Yeah, it was for like front page news of every newspaper uh, because it was like a massive panic uh, suddenly you know this girl had just uh, died and yes it's called hypernatremia one of the other episodes later in the series of the i, I chat to another guy who um uh, an american chap called emmanuel Sverios, who founded a company or an organization charity i suppose called dance safe Uh, to keep people safe whilst clubbing. And he knows loads about MDMA, which is the, you know, ecstasy, (laughs) that that drug. Because it's not just a club drug, he uses it, used it first time for therapy. It can help people get over traumatic experiences. So he was abused in his childhood and through taking the MDMA, one of the things it makes you feel is this loved-up feeling. One of the other stories that is often told about it is that um, in the nineteen eighties in the in the UK, football hooliganism and fighting was like a massive part of culture. It was a horrible part of culture, but you know, big fights would break out in city centres on Saturday nights between rival football fans or just drunk blokes. And then all of a sudden, in the late eighties, ecstasy started to come into the country and people started to um take was it happy with it. Yeah, and suddenly all these guys that three weeks before had been kicking the shit out of each other, suddenly at the yeah. end of this nightclub night, they're hugging each other and, you know, <laughs> dancing on the same dance floor as each other because it makes you feel this sort of empathetic, uh, very, um, you, you love other people and you can't really see the bad in them and things like is that. Is
2: there a down at the end, though, is there, like, or...? It...
3: Um, yeah, there, there's a... If you took it on a, on a weekend night, people used to sort of say you would have this suicide Tuesday where, you know, you would feel, like, awful two or three days later, Hmm. um, only if you take loads too much,
1: Hmm.
3: really. And I think everyone feels a bit glum and a bit on a Tuesday. And if you're sort of young and living for the weekend, you know, you can't wait for the next weekend and you're stuck in a boring job, then it might just be that you're having a rubbish Tuesday like everyone is. Um, Yeah. but, but, um, But some people, I think, do say that they feel a sort of hangover, but it's about two or three days later. And that might be, the serotonin levels and, and hormone levels in your body sort of returning to normal and maybe they go a bit too low before they come back up again. But this guy, Emmanuel Sverios, who's in a future episode, he'll talk more about MDMA and he explains hyponatremia, that thing that Alia Betts died of where particularly women because the, the, the way that their bodies with a different portion of body fat in to men the way their bodies store water is a bit different. And, and so I think they're more at risk, basically, of this overhydration, overdrinking. over-drinking. But he first took MDMA because it was a way of, you take it and then it was a way of sort of talking through. He, he wasn't dancing, he wasn't in a rave. He was doing it as therapy. How old? He was, he was only young. He, you know. He was like um, early 20s, I think and and now some scientists because it, because drugs have been illegal for the since the 1970s I means scientists can't do any research on them you're not allowed to you know it's just been illegal mm-hmm. Where, whereas now some of those rules are starting to be relaxed and so if you're a um as a clinical psychiatrist who look who looks at you know people who were abused as children and tries to help them through that process. He's based in Bristol, Dr. Ben Sessa he's called, and he uses MDMA as part of the therapy to treat people. So you have counselling and and talk through the issues. And on on two of those counselling sessions, you take MDMA first in a clinical setting. So again, I think he has delicate music playing in the background, not bang, 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 rave music. But it means that the people, what you, you don't, um, soldiers with post traumatic stress disorder get to, um, c- can use it as well. It, it can work with them, where because the traumatic thing that happened to you is so traumatic, that if you talk about it, it makes you feel traumatized. Mm. Uh, if you take the MDMA, then you're able to talk about it without feeling that trauma. Yeah. So, of by it being illegal, those sort of maybe those advances in how we treat mental illness and addiction it might be useful for and and certainly stress and abuse victims that research has just not been able to be done until now. I was thinking after the first one that I wasn't De- necessarily direct enough or honest enough so i have definitely i've taken that drug it's an illegal drug but i've taken ecstasy before hmm. when i was younger which i thought you must get from obviously in the episode well, especially that one yes I
2: mean, you, uh, did you just say it a couple of times so.
3: yes uh so i obviously don't i was obviously fine i'm survived you yeah. know uh and and it was a positive experience i didn't didn't hate it uh and really enjoyed it, in fact, and did it with good friends, you know. Yeah, when you liked, say it's a
2: positive experience. Like the music. Maybe it, like, stood out to me more than the episode because you're my dad. I'm like, oh, he's taking ecstasy. Yeah. That's a thing. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> but obviously it's illegal. So I feel a bit kind of mixed. As in, I want you to know these pieces of information and useful things about the drug. But uh, I didn't take it until I was 23. I never took any anything. Uh, I think maybe when I was a teenager, at a couple of parties, I smoked a tiny bit of weed hmm. that someone had. But I never had any myself, and you know, I kind of didn't really like smoking anything at that point, so um, that wasn't particularly attractive. But then, at, yeah, at twenty-three, I was—I'd finished university, I was working, and I started working at a dance music radio station, and so and, you know, I started just to know a few people that were going to big nightclub things. And I remember just asking a guy if he if he could, um, a guy that I knew, like, I really want to go to this big nightclub called God's Kitchen. and and take some drugs. So he said, yeah, all right then. (laughs) Um, But I think because I was already working and I I was working on a breakfast show by that point, so I uh, had to be up at the crack of dawn on Monday morning, meant I never...
2: Yeah, I mean, it was affordable, right? It's quite...
3: Yes, it's quite cheap. Yeah, so last week we talked about cocaine and that's expensive, £50 a gram, whereas ecstasy... um,
1: yeah, you know, that said. one
3: I bought was about three pound fifty on the dark web, and 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 even if you if you bought it just from a person you know that you knew, it's probably going to be um, a fiver uh, for a pill. Someone might do you three for a tenner, you know. They're, so they're not very expensive, but the dangerous yeah. thing now is that they're really strong. So back in the day, people I think were used to sort of things being not very good quality, and um, and so people might have taken two or three at a time, whereas now. They're really strong, and you perhaps only need half. So someone who was used to taking two or three, if they took two now, it potentially could yeah. kill them. All of this stuff could be changed if they were legally regulated. Some people do think that you could sell... Hey yeah,
2: but how would they manage that? Who would be allowed, but who wouldn't?
3: Well, they'd, there'd definitely be an age limit. <sighs> Under 18s, you wouldn't be able to buy them. It would be like buying alcohol. You know, you'd know, you have to yeah. show ID. And then I think, they, I think they, the way that I've heard it suggested is that if we legalised all drugs then cannabis you could sell like they sell tobacco in a shop you know again you'd have to show ID but would
2: it be behind the screen at tobacco yeah
3: I think so it'd be sort of behind the screen at the back but you could buy buy it like that from shops whereas drugs like ecstasy you'd probably have to go to a chemist a special chemist where you could buy it again when you show ID um, and it would come like in a uh, a packet with some like instructions like paracetamol does, you know, about how much the dose should be and what to do if you get into any trouble and you know, make sure you drink water and do it like this, don't overdo it, blah blah blah. Um
2: Yeah. Or oh, like- well,
3: maybe maybe they'd limit it so that you also had to have a like a a card, like an oyster card or something like that, um, where you you were only allowed to buy it twice a month or something like that, so you couldn't buy. But it's not, ecstasy is not the sort of drug that you would, I don't think, only very few people would take it more often than once a, a week, you know, I mean most people probably take it two or three times a year, even those that like it and take it sort of with some regularity because you sort of, it's a big night out thing rather than something that you do every Saturday
2: yeah I mean like I to be saying but like with that being legal then it kind of like you're saying some of the fun is it is doing it illegally like yeah. just the the thrill of that yeah it's like oh I'm doing something illegal it's
3: like yeah you know, yeah bigger so
2: risk for
3: it's a bit boring going to a chemist to yeah buy, a, buy a, a, a tablet from a guy that needs to give you a five minute lecture about taking it safely before he lets you buy it yeah whereas if you're sort of
2: feels just cool if you do pull out a little packet of, like, box of, of plastic bottles, get it out, pop out the tablet.
3: Yeah, it doesn't have the, quite the same mystique as buying it.
2: Doesn't they sell it, Um, like, obviously, because it's a club thing, would they sell it in the club or not?
3: I don't know, because then you could have people already out and intoxicated able to buy more when they're, you know, because if you drink a few drinks, then all your sort of common sense goes. Hmm. So then you might think, oh, yeah, I'll just buy some more, Yeah. You know, hmm. Um Whereas if they made it so that you could only buy it in daytime hours from a chemist, then you have to sort of have planned a bit more. You can't already be half-pissed and it'd be quarter to midnight and you go, oh, yeah, let's just buy some more. Because um, people would make bad decisions, obviously, at that sort of time. So, um, But all of these things could be debated. You know, for, if, if they planned to legalise it, then they would have to discuss all their things. But it's quite interesting, isn't it, to think about... <laughs> on the harm scale it's way less harmful than alcohol and um and if taken if you know how much is in the dose and you know what to, you know, you know about the sort of keeping yourself cool and hydrated and what have you then it's not very dangerous yeah uh, so uh, and it makes people nicer and more fun to be around it doesn't make them aggressive and violent and yeah you know so that, that, so there is... So a it's that of... bit
2: about, like, people wanting to be at a club where, like, men were aggressive.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. That's, that, you know, north...
2: so like, booze versus, like, ecstasy. Yeah,
3: and so you think, well, if, if people are morally objecting to drugs, people shouldn't take drugs, it's terrible. Well, why? Cause, you know, what, what's your argument then? If, if Alcohol is a drug as well, and that's legal, and that's making people actually quite unpleasant mm-hmm. in some circumstances and certainly causing a lot of illness and harm. But ecstasy isn't then if you made it legal so you made it a bit safer by making it legal Mm -hmm. yeah then maybe what's what's the moral objection to it yeah i don't know yeah oh that's one for the re lesson you could uh, discuss (laughs) that at school uh i was just going to do one little bit i think david Nutt's um things to tell your kids um all drugs can potentially cause harm as well as pleasure to have an allergic reaction, even from a single experience. Start telling your kids about drugs from an early age and be prepared to discuss your drinking and smoking with them. Well, that's what I'm doing in this yeah. uh, podcast. And then one of his just hard and fast rules, which I think is just a, a kind of bit of total common sense is uh, never inject any drug. So even no. if you're going to experiment with drugs, you could smoke them or you can snort them or you can take a pill, but injecting,
2: Jason just feels like it's just so the risk, like AIDS and like just everything around that.
3: Yes, it's a really dangerous thing to do, and um, because it's
2: just so much path the drugs, it just then goes like,
3: Yeah, it's a big no like, where to
2: inject them. Like,
3: yeah, yeah,
2: there's just a whole lot more knowledge involved than just snorting something.
3: Yes, it's a very big step, so never inject. Um, good, well, I'm glad we agree on that one. Um, and finally, would you like a gift?
2: Um, sure, is it drugs? No, not?
3: it's not drugs, no. <laughs> But it is bought from an illicit source.
2: Yeah, I was going to ask you about the drugs phone case.
3: <laughs> so that was the—that <laughs> is the phone case that uh, uh, came with the uh, drugs, which I took to the <laughs> testing place. So if you want a sparkly phone case, it's all yours. Good. Um, oh, that was nice to chat to you about all of that. Thanks for listening again. Yeah. And next week, a really interesting guy to listen to, um, that I interviewed, Um, he's called uh, Dr. Mohammed Kazim, and he is a criminologist who spends time getting to know drug dealers, particularly young ones, like kids that fall in with a bad crowd or have such crappy home lives that they fall in with anyone that will give them something to do really, and a bit of status and a bit of money, and so they end up dealing drugs. And he tries to find out sort of why and what motivates them. Like. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. And that's it for episode two. Thank you for downloading and listening. And thanks for the kind tweets and the messages about episode one. It was really lovely to uh, hear some positive feedback. I was delighted and relieved. Uh, thank you ever so much to all the loopers I spoke to in this episode. Professor Fiona Miesham, uh Chris, Phoebe, Saz, Ron, Steve and Josh. The music you heard which I paid my licence to PRS just to play, was from Underworld, Chemical Brothers and Massive Attack, obviously, as we were in Bristol. Please share with anyone who you think might be interested. I would be delighted if I could spread this podcast far and wide. If you liked it, rate it highly on your podcast app. I think that helps. Uh, I'm on Twitter, at DadDoesDrugs, Facebook and DadDoesDrugs at gmail.com if you want to get in touch. It is lovely to hear from people, as I said. Uh, See you next week. Thank you. Bye.